Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Susan Wiggs. She's written more than 50 books, sold over 25 million copies in more than 20 languages. She is prolific and successful. Her new book is Welcome to Beachtown. We talk about the little exercises that she does to know characters better. Also about the joys of research and... I guess most importantly of all, why she writes stories. I need to feel like I connect with the character on deeply and emotionally because that's how I'm going to reach the reader. And I know I've done my job when a reader will say, you know, this scene um, just touched me so much. Um, you know, sometimes they'll say, oh, it made me cry, but I, it was happy tears or something like that. Because I think... Um, a story is driven by emotion. Emotion is kind of the fuel that that fuels the engine of the story. And so I need to make sure that the emotion is very specific and very authentic. There's more from Susan Wiggs in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along to the show. Uh, my name's Dan Simpson. This is Rise's Routine. The idea is simple and the conversations get quite deep. We take a look through an author's working day to see how they get stuff done, to see how they take an idea. They run it through their minds, uh, through their hands, down onto the page, and they get it out there. We chat to all sorts of writers just to see how different people plan their life and their work and their day and their space to help them get it done. This week, we're chatting to Susan Wiggs, published more than 50 books in more than 20 languages. She sold more than 25 million copies. Her Lakeshore Chronicles series is phenomenally successful. And her new novel is Welcome to Beachtown. It's set in the idyllic beach town, would you believe it, of Alara Cove. And at graduation, the class valedictorian Nikki Graziola veers off script to reveal a secret that will break open the whole community. And the repercussions of that follow Nikki throughout her life. We discuss voice. There is a brilliant chat about voice in this. How important it is to, to get a feel for yours, understand what it is, figure out where your books might sit on the shelf. Why... Sometimes the making of the really incredible books are the ones that manage to blend literary language with, uh, I guess, a more commercial plot. 
so they they strike the balance between it being beautiful and just un put downable i guess is the word also uh you can hear why she gave a school student the most boring time of their life uh, when we recorded this a little while ago susan had just started writing something brand new so dealing with the publication of one novel uh, writing something new how was she feeling about that about being in the early throes of another story how does she deal with all that problem solving suddenly coming to a head and we get into it as we always do with what susan sees around her in the place where she sits down to write well, I'm looking out and I actually see um, a, a little area of Puget Sound called Rich Passage. There's a tiny island in the distance and behind that is Mount Rainier, which is a magnificent mountain. It sort of stands alone in the Cascades all by itself. And this morning it's kind of wearing a crown of clouds. Um, we had a beautiful sunrise and it's shaping up to be a sunny day. I like to boast that um, we have the nicest summers anywhere here um, to make up for our miserable, miserable winters. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, I, I, uh, the classic stereotype of Washington and Seattle is that it can rain just a tad, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's not raining there today. <laughs> rain changing to showers is something you'll hear on the, the forecast, and I've never quite figured out what they mean by that. <laughs> what what about what's um what's kind of in the room where you're writing uh just look around you tell us what you can see on the walls yep it's uh well i don't have walls it's all windows because they all face the water and so but behind me is a bookcase with probably oh probably two meters of books on writing craft and dictionaries and thesauruses and all of my all of my i call them my teachers and in front of me is a really long, um, old-fashioned kind of um, formica, I don't know, I call it a credenza, just trying to be fancy there, I guess. <laughs> and um, and I have, I, I have like a whole arsenal of fountain pens because when I'm drafting my first draft, um, I write it in longhand with a fountain pen. And... Um, and I don't like to stop if I need to change the the ink cartridge. So I keep going. And and you've actually caught me at such a such a dynamic time in the life of a book because on Tuesday I I literally started writing a new book. And so I'm in I'm in full on creative first draft mode. And so it's a pretty classic looking um, writer's study with lots of paper and pens and no phone because. Um, I try to limit my distractions when I'm working. Uh, well, so many questions. Just looking at your two meters worth of books that you've got on the, the, the shelf there. Um, I speak to some authors who will read a lot of kind of writing craft guides, some that don't touch them at all. Uh, what have they taught you? How helpful have they been? They have... They have absolutely been my teachers. I, I actually um, published my first book in 1987. So I've been at it for a while. And I never, when I was in school, I never studied writing, um, you know, like, like creative writing. Because I, back then, you know, in the 80s, I knew that it was, that, that, write, that 
um, literary writing was what was taught. And I already knew at such a young age that I was a commercial writing. I, I had a commercial voice. I loved reading detective novels and romance novels and, and some science fiction and fantasy novels. And so um, what I did was I subscribed to, and I think it might still be a thing, I subscribed to the Writer's Digest um, book club. And once a month, they would send you a book on writing. So I actually have um, fiction writing books written by Dean Koontz. We've all heard of him, right? Um, but back he was a genre writer with something, you know, 20-something pseudonyms. And so he wrote one called How to Write Popular Fiction, How to Write Best-Selling Fiction. And um, I have... Um, the classic, you know, Joseph Campbell books, story by Robert McKee. I have um, probably my favorite one by a Brit is um, it's called The Complete Plain Words by Sir Ernest Gowers. And um, he's very witty and funny and, and really sharp. But all of them um, combined are like a masterclass if you work through them of how to write a novel and they're more about storytelling than language because language anybody you know i shouldn't say this but i will say it um anybody can learn to write a beautiful sentence or paragraph you know with artful language and and imagery and things like that but it's the storytellers who get the job done in my opinion i have a few opinions yeah well i'm excited to uh, <laughs> to discover some let's just talk about you mentioned knowing from an early age you had a commercial voice. Uh, I'm thinking that maybe some of the some listeners to the show, uh, aspiring writers, might not have figured out their voice yet. Might not be aware of the difference between a literary voice or a commercial voice. For you, just what are the differences? What let you know that you were kind of angled more towards commercial fiction? Right. Um, it has more to do with, okay, here's a really simplistic um, way of putting it. I think that somebody who has a commercial voice, who writes bestsellers, who writes, um, you know, the page turners, the, the really emotional um, um, fiction that, that readers crave again and again, genre fiction, somebody with a commercial voice is all about a good story well told. In other words, the story comes first. And somebody who's a literary writer is extremely preoccupied with language and metaphor and imagery. And they are sort of a well-told good story. Yes. The language comes first and the art comes first and the craft may be behind that. Um, there's, a, there's another um, writer that lives on Bainbridge Island. He's um, um, David Gooderson. He wrote a fantastic book called snow falling on cedars and he, i think in in my opinion the reason that was such a hit it was a huge huge bestseller some years ago because it was a it was a really cracking mystery told in a literary voice and it was kind of amazing to read the two melding together so that was um you know where where both literary and commercial fed each other. And it doesn't always happen for every book, um, for every writer. And I don't concern myself with that. I just kind of let my natural voice come through. And I'm, I'm a storyteller. And I know that I have been from the get go, because um, I have a few leftover writings from really toddlerhood, when I used to scribble on pieces of paper and dictate to my mother, I would tell her, write this down. 
<laughs> and I would tell her a story about kids getting in trouble and running up trees and they were bonkers, but they were, they, they kept the action moving. <laughs> so- I tell you what, I tell you what, I'm looking at my bookshelf and uh, last year I finished Where the Crawdads Sing, which then became a huge uh, film. And just reflecting on the book that you were talking about, perhaps that's why that got a huge success as well, because it's 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 like a pretty good mystery and you're finding out what's happened with this girl who who kills the guy. But it's also written in this very evocative uh, way with, with strong language uh, pushed through every sentence. Yes, and, and every once in a while a book will hit that sweet spot where it's an unputdownable story and the language is very elevated and... and um, you know, another example might be the classic American novel To Kill a Mockingbird. Same thing. It, it's a page-turning mystery, but there's also the, the literary shading in that. And and can, can every writer achieve it? No. <laughs> I mean, we would if we could, right? But that's why I don't concern my – I concern myself with getting the story down – in the best way that I know how. And um, I guess for the last 36 years, it's been working for me. So you, um, you mentioned that you're in this, this quite joyous state of writing that you started a first draft just a few days ago. Well, I don't know about joyous. I mean, <laughs> some days when you know, some, some moments are joyous, but some moments feel like I'm, I'm passing a kidney stone trying to get the words. Well, out. so just touching on that, how long, in your experience, do you usually find you're in this state before things kind of come together? How long is it before the slog and, and the worry of it starts when, when the plot's kind of there, but you, you're not in this yeah. genesis? Yeah, I see what you're asking. Um, I've, before I sit down to write a first draft, I've done quite a lot of um, – I, I, I plot out the story as much as I'm able, leaving a lot of room for the story to take on a life of its own. But I try to um, rough out the beginning, middle, end. It really helps that I um, always force myself to to pitch it to my literary agent and my editor at HarperCollins um, so that they can um, you know see what I'm up to. And so that forces me to give the story some sort of shape. And so I, I've done that. I've often done a lot of research, like on the book that, that is newly out now, Welcome to Beachtown. Um, I had to do a deep dive, um, if you will, into surfing. And so I've, I've already done um, research in the field, in the library, online, and informed myself because my books are all about people who have much more interesting lives than I do. And so they always have really cool jobs. You know, they're a champion surfer or they're a plein air painter or, you know, a restaurateur. So um, I, I do a lot of background research. So I don't come to the first draft cold. It's not like I have to walk into a room and just make something up, you know, just pull the words out of who knows where. I already have in my mind um, who the main character is and what her big concerns are. And so I've, I've built up all this anticipation within myself. And then, you know, I just kind of let her rip. And I probably, I probably write the first draft in a matter of several months, I would say. And my books are fairly long. They're um, maybe 110 to 130,000 words long. 
And um, so that's that's my that's my process. And I, I do write them in longhand because it feels more um, it feels more immediate, and it also kind of reduces my temptation to backspace a few times and rewrite and backspace and you know I just forge ahead just trying to get the story down and so that's probably why I I still prefer my longhand first draft let me plonk you back down in 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 your room with all the windows looking out over the glorious water and and everything else uh, you mentioned research and, and planning what form does that take around you would I find notebooks would I find spreadsheets with chapter breakdowns post-it notes just run us through that um not any not very much in terms of spreadsheets i have tried um scrivener i own it that's a that's that novel organizing software i think it does um and and i i can see i i guess i need a scrivener tutor because for some reason it it just a little bit confused me and made me suspicious that I was hiding things from myself. And so most of it is simply a lot of note taking on documents. And, um, you know, I have a pin board with things that I've pinned up, but it it's unfortunately there's, I don't have a great method or a great system. I try to keep it simple for myself just so that I can see it all in front of me. Um, I might write down um, scene ideas on index cards, you know, little scene cards and flip through a deck of those, you know, this works, this doesn't work. This is a good idea. That's not a good idea. And so, yeah, you're right. I have a big, it's, it's not really a notebook. It's more like a binder that has a synopsis and it has, you know, scene cards, it has research notes, that sort of thing. And I love to go um, visit places, you know, like I, w- I went, I actually went to surf camp in preparation for writing Welcome to Beach Town. And I have family in Australia. So I've been there. There's a sequence in the book that takes place on the Gold Coast and the, um, um, and the Sunshine Coast of Australia. So um, I love to travel to places that my books take place. Just touching back on uh, how we were discussing commercial voice a second ago, you've published over 50 novels. You met, you said you kind of wrote your first in 1987. Um, uh, has that has that like always been front and centre in your mind? Has there ever been a moment where you, you've tried to maybe write a bit more literary to tap into that nice blend between the two or have you always been perfectly uh, comfortable with how you write and where you're pitching it um i don't ever try to write in one way or the other i have written in a literary voice um some shorter pieces i wrote a kind of a meditation on a mother driving her daughter to college for the first time to university uh, they did a cross-country drive together and they um kind of worked through their issues on the drive. it was like a road book and that that was told in a more literary voice um and I, i'm not sure why it just it just sort of sounded that way it wasn't published that way, but that's a whole different area, <laughs> a, a different topic. But um, that was told in a literary voice. And I've written some shorter pieces. And so it's, you know, literary fiction is every bit as much of a craft that you learn as commercial fiction. It's just, um, I love my readers. I love 
to have um, um, healthy sales of my books and, and I love to pay the bills. And so um, for me in my career, um, the way to do that has been to create consistent, high quality commercial fiction. The whole thing looks um, pretty boring. Like I said, <laughs> kind of like watching paint dry. Um, I, in fact, I did have, um, I'm not sure if you do this in the UK, but young people um, are encouraged to shadow people who are working at jobs that they are interested in. And it's called job shadowing. And they'll follow, say, you know, a fireman through his day or a doctor through their day. And there was a young kid who wanted to be a writer. And so um, the school contacted me, could this kid shadow you through your writing day? And I would say within like an hour and a half, he had fallen asleep on my sofa <laughs> because they said, don't do anything different. You just have your regular day. So, yep, from when I get up, um, I often um, do a really, really brisk long walk with the dogs because that will ensure that the dogs will leave me alone to write. Um, there's always um, plenty of coffee first thing in the morning. And then I get then I roll up my sleeves and I do try not to be distracted by that endless email queue. I'll take a look at it and see if there's something urgent that needs my attention right away. But really between the morning hours for me are my magic hours when I sit down and, you know, minimize my distractions around me and write. And the first phase, you know, the first draft when I'm just drafting my first draft, that's that for me feels like the most creative and I'll spend anywhere from four to six hours on that. And I don't know why, and I don't know if other re writers feel this way, but writing is exhausting. I, I, I feel like it should burn more calories than it does, <laughs> but um after that, then, you know, I'll give myself a break, get something to drink or eat or something, and then um, go at the business side of it, which is not my favorite, but I can see the value in it. You have to run your entire writer's career like a small business. You're an independent contractor, and there are things that you need to look after. And so I save later in the day for that sort of thing. Uh, in your morning session when you're writing – Four, between four and six hours, mostly, you said. Uh, how do you find your energy flowing? Are you pretty good at, you know, getting down with your pen and just writing relentlessly for that time? No, I'm so envious of writers who say, oh, I just put the headphones on and, and the muse comes and, and it's all lovely. Um, no, I, I constantly, I don't know how I've written 50 books, really. And it's more than 50. I just quit counting. Um, but... No, it feel everything that I do to write a book feels very effortful. And it's kind of ironic because when the feedback that I get from readers is, oh my gosh, I love your books. I read it in one sitting or just over the weekend. And it's it's lovely to hear on the one hand, but on the other hand, I think, oh my God, I, I bled into that book for a year <laughs> just to make it come to life. And so I, it's, you don't see the struggle in a really well-written, smoothly 
executed novel, but it's definitely there for, for me. And I, I do think for a lot of writers that I know, I do know a lot of writers and I hang out with them and we all love to, you know, whine and complain about our lot, but we keep coming at it again and again. So there's something in it that brings us back every time. So, so no, it's not this, um, you know, the, the twittering birds in the, in the trees outside and, you know, um, all the, the swelling music in the background. It's, it's quite a, it's quite a struggle. It's sort of like a reluctant 11 year old doing homework. (laughs) On days when uh, the 11 year old really won't do the homework, when you're very much struggling, what have you learned along the way across uh, more than 50 books now that just helps you out that, that, that maybe unclogs any threatening block? Yeah. You know, I, I think I've heard this even on some of your, from some of your other guests, and that is just go away from the writing. Even if there's a deadline, even if you're, you know, stressing about something, um, it's okay to sit there until the beads of sweat bead on your forehead, but eventually you have to quit forcing it. And for me, it's almost always a really, really vigorous walk that the place where I live has tons of forests and beaches and hills. And um, so I I take a walk, I go and um, gardening for me helps. Um, And just doing something completely unrelated to the book but I will say that sometimes I'll um, call or meet with a writer friend and talk things through. Sometimes that un- unsticks me. So, but usually it involves putting it, putting the work aside for some period of time, not too long, because then you get out of your habit. And I think this is called the writer's routine for a reason. This this podcast. Without the routine, it's not going to get written. So you're allowed to give yourself a break, but you need to come back to it with new energy. And it almost always does unstick. I sometimes, but rarely, I sometimes allow myself to skip the section where I'm stuck and move on to something in the book that I know is um, is to come. But I try to resist doing that because I don't want to have to piece it together like a Frankenstein monster at the end. You know, I don't want to have all these disparate pieces of the book that I need to somehow meld together. So I try to write in sequence as much as I can. What pushes you to the point where you do need to write out of sequence? Like when when you are, when the struggle is real, uh, how long do you kind of give it before just chucking the towel in on that bit for a tad? Um, usually a couple of days. And, and then I just think, you know, something's not right. And it's not always that I've made a wrong choice about something. It's just that maybe, um, here's a perfect example. I was writing um, a real key scene towards the end of Welcome to Beach Town. And it involved, um, it involved a hospital and a big emergency and everything. And I realized that I was telling it from the wrong character's point of view. And so, and I, most of my books are in third person. So um, I'm able to switch the viewpoint character whose, whose head is the camera in um, for the reader. And as soon as I switch to a different character in that scene, um, it sort of unfolded as it was supposed to. So sometimes you have to do a little experimenting with um, perspective, I suppose. 
you, you mentioned that you you had started kind of writing a, a new project over the last couple of days. How long had you given yourself, but before uh, between that and the the time that you had stopped writing the previous novel? I mean, writing so many books must mean you're fairly relentless over the years. Uh, how much how much have you learned to to give yourselves these the breaks? Um, I will say, okay. Back in the day, when I was when I was young and hungry, I, I can recall a specific day. This is why I take no whining from writers who say, I don't have time, I have another job, I'm too busy. I was a teacher. I was the sole supporter of my family. I had a little kid. Um, I had finished a book, um, and I sent it off. And back then, when send, sending it off meant going to the Xerox store and photocopying it and wrapping it and putting it in the mail, it was very effortful. But I remember doing that. And then um, I picked up my, my daughter from daycare and went home and opened a notebook and started a second book. So you use the word relentless. So that was that was younger me, very, very dedicated, very um, keen to launch this writing career. That's what it takes. And you put in the hours and you don't stop until you're proud and you just do it all over again. You know, I, I there are writers who are one hit wonder or they write one big seminal book and it makes their career forever. But that's not me. You know, I built it over a body of work. And so so that's one extreme. You know, I I literally finished one, opened it, opened a new one in the same 24 hour period. But what I do now, um, and, and I can actually give you dates, I, I finished a book that will be published later this year. It was a Christmas story, and it's called The Twelve Dogs of Christmas. Yeah, so I finished it in March, sent it off to my editor, which is now, of course, sending an email, right? Um, and then I really, I, I took a few days, um, you know, I think we we went, you know, on a, on a little holiday or something, but then... Um, I think you never shut your mind off because as writers, we're always looking at the next idea. You know, we've always got ideas circling our heads like air traffic over Gatwick, right? And so um, which one gets to land? So it's always there, but we're not actively working with it. And so when I, wherever I go, whenever I go, um, there's always these this jumble of ideas that I'm playing with. And when I finally sat down to roll up my, and that was in March, when I finally sat down to roll up my sleeves and write the next book, um, it would, it, it's been several months, but I was very active with the idea during that month, you know, organizing it, plotting it out, doing the research. And so it really varies depending on your schedule. If you're an aspiring writer and you don't have a deadline, your goal is just to finish and then try while you're marketing the work that you've finished, you write the next one. And I, I would assume, you know, unless you only want to write one book, which is fine. You know, if you want to do that, that's, that's fine. But if you want this uh, years long um, sustainable writing career, you definitely have to find the routine. There's our word again, routine that will enable that. Uh, just thinking about the start of your career that you, you said, you know, you're working a job, you were bringing up a child on your own. So you've got to do that. There's, there's a lot of barriers to entry there. And simply that would have put a lot of people off like I don't you know you say I don't have the time 
because, well, to all intents and purposes, perhaps you did not have the time, but you made it work. What kept you going? What was this desire to become a a published novelist about? Where does it come from? Um, I think it comes from the fact that I, I grew up an incredibly voracious reader. You know, I think, um, the most prolific writers that I know were just prolific readers. I read everything. Um, I just, I was very compelled to do this. And so I think you used, um, the right word. You said you make time, you make time for what's important to you. And so, I'm sure I substituted, um, you know, watching the television and probably social time. And, you know, the only thing I didn't sacrifice was the time I spent with my daughter and the time I spent teaching, but everything else was negotiable. And so I imagine I, I learned um, something that my, my mother taught me. No is a complete sentence. (laughs) And so I probably turned down um, things that, would have distracted me um, if if it didn't feel like, you know, if I'd rather be writing, then I probably gave that priority. And so I, I think it's a, it, a lot of it is in the mindset. And so I definitely believe that if you have a story in you and you're really, really keen to write it, you will do what it takes. You also said that, you, you you weren't a writer whose first book, uh, you know, flew off the shelves. It was more of a slow burning career for you. Uh, Along these 50 plus novels, at what point did you start to feel that change? Did you feel uh, the weight of momentum behind you? Um, I did. It, it was um, it was fairly early on. Um, and I was still I was still a, a classroom teacher and I got and, and I had published several books and I got a royalty check from a publisher, um, the, you know, the royalties are when they account for your book sales and they give you your cut. Um, and the royalty check was bigger than my entire year's teacher salary. And yeah, yeah, I know that I had that reaction too. I was like, well, you know, it, it was a little bittersweet because number one, it shows how grossly we underpay teachers, right? And number two, it also showed me you know, if I really want this career to happen, I should take this moment and do that. And so I stepped away from the teachers, the teaching career gradually. I, I think I went to being a part-time teacher and then ultimately the writing took over. But it is a big step. And I, I do urge um, writers who are getting started and they, they have a big break like that to make sure that they can see a way to sustain that because there are a lot of ups and downs. And there were for me, you know, I had that nice, um, that nice boost of a royalty check. And then I was with an imprint that folded and closed its doors. And, and suddenly I was, I, I had nothing, you know? And so you have to make sure that you've got a plan um, to sustain yourself financially through the ups and downs of a writing career. And, you know, eventually if you get, if you have good representation from your agent and, and make good decisions and write good books, um, it can be, <laughs> I don't want to say f- stable, fairly, you know, it can be stable-ish. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, just one last question of the day. And I, I guess this harks back, harks back to 
what you were saying about you, you making time for your daughter when you were writing and you were teaching. But I, and I'm sure that 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 must have been hard. And perhaps there weren't times when you were completely there. Now, um, uh, when you do, you you have the leisure of a day to write. Do you find yourself being perhaps more accessible to those around you, to friends that want to go for a drink sometimes, or is it still all consuming no matter what's going on? No, these, this is the reward of the hard work and the job well done is that you have given yourself um, a lot of, you've, you've actually earned the perks and yeah. And, and also I was in my twenties when I, uh, Dan, when I was, um, when I was doing every juggling everything and you do have a different kind of energy when you're young and hungry like that. Um, I would, my, my writing hours were basically nine until midnight or one in the morning every day. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would get up an hour earlier than normal and, and write at that time and then go through the rest of my day. So, um, it was, I guess I, I, I get to sleep more. Yeah. And you're right. I get to socialize more and, and slow down in that way. But um, there is a lot of ebb and flow to a writing career, you know, and there are times that you struggle and there are times that you enjoy the fruits of your labor. And I, I would, I think that the struggling times kind of make the leisure times um, all the sweeter and um, all the more gratifying because you've, you've done your job. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. We're back with more from Susan in just a second. Uh, If you're enjoying the show and you've learned anything in this episode, in the first half hour or so, that has just really helped maybe what you're writing. If you've heard a tip and you think, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll make a note of that. And I'll get to that as soon as this is done. Well, you can always support us for bringing you these chats as often as we can with the best authors around. I know that uh, through the summer... If you're in the UK, it's not just the weather that has been horrendously disrupted. I know that the release schedule has been a bit all over the place, um, but it's settling down again as we kind of crack on through the rest of the year, starting with autumn. Got some fantastic authors lined up for you. 
brilliant chats, some of the most successful writers around, and you'll really see how they get stuff done. They will bring you advice and tips that you can use to help whatever it is you're doing. And you can help us out for that. Just a couple of dollars a month, it helps us carry on. It helps us keep doing this and bringing you the chats. You get merch, there is bonus content, and there is even a way for your book to sponsor the show. So if you'd like to get involved, if you would like to support us, you can make that happen. Just send over whatever you can. Pledge and become a backer at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then with Susan Wiggs. Her new novel is Welcome to Beach Town. Susan is a phenomenally successful writer. She's published more than 50 books in more than 20 languages. She's sold more than 25 million copies. Uh, the new one is set in the idyllic beach town of Alara Cove. When on graduation day, the class valedictorian Nikki Graziola veers off script and reveals a secret that will break open the whole community and the repercussions of that follow Nikki throughout her life. We chat about the little exercises that she does to get to know her characters better. Also, there is a touch of self-analysis in there. We ponder... I'm always interested in asking this question with someone who is really successful, who who has um, fans all around the world, you know, published more than 20 languages. I'm always interested how much they're aware of, like, what a Susan Wiggs novel needs to be. What do her fans want to find when they open up a new one of her books? So we run through that and we get back into it, talking about the very first idea for Welcome to Beach Town. It's kind of super embarrassing. It was because, um, you know, when you have a deadline, you put everything off. And then once you fulfill your deadline, you turn your book in, then you look after all the things that you've been ignoring, like getting a haircut and going to the dentist and all that. And so I went for my annual physical probably a few months late because I was so busy with the deadline for the previous book, a book called Sugar and Salt. And um, I, I got on the I, I got on the dreaded scale at the doctor's and I realized I had gained like five or six pounds writing the book called Sugar and Salt. And with a title like that, you can imagine why there's a lot of cooking. There's a lot of, there's a lot of a lot in that book, but one of the things has to do with a bakery and a barbecue pit master and, you know, all kinds of food. And so as I was writing that book and channeling the characters, um, um, I, I definitely packed on the pounds. And so um, I thought, I'm going to write a book about an athlete. <laughs> and it was, so it was in the doctor's office and it was just the Colonel. And then I had to think, well, what athlete, it's got to be a sport that I would like to read about and write about. And then I knew, I also knew that the book would be published in summer. And in fact, welcome to beach town was published on the first day of summer, which was great. Um, and so I, I thought, well, what sport do you do at the beach? You know, there's volleyball and there's swimming. And then I thought, oh, surfing, you know, there could be a lot. There's a lot there. And so it's not really a book about surfing. It's a book about a woman's journey through her. It's kind of a coming of age at many ages, you know, not just um, an early coming of age novel, but I think you come of age at certain seasons in your life. And this follows Nikki Graziola from her um, high school commencement speech, where she sets the town on fire by going off script with her speech and, and dropping a bomb, a verbal bomb on this little community where she lives. And basically being ridden out of town on a rail. So I kind of had those um, ideas in my head. But yeah, doctor's office getting on the scale. So my vanity 
pushed me to write a, a healthier book, I guess. Well, you say that's an interesting, very interesting starting point, not one that I've heard really <laughs> before. You say that you had these different ideas floating around your head, but with the uh, the, the idea with Nikki Graziola, so you've decided you want to write a book about surfing because that might help you get a touch healthier. So where does where does kind of the idea of Nikki and her uh, valedictorian speech as they graduate, where does that come into it? Like, how are you driving the plot from that very initial idea? Right. I, I love a really, really clean, clear moment of change. And so um, that commencement from high school, high school graduation is probably one of the clearest moments when you leave the entire life that you've lived for your first 18 years and you're about to step in a, into a new world, whether it be moving away from home or college, going to college or any of those. It's just a really clear moment, which makes for good drama and it's, and it's easy to write around. And so I knew that I wanted to start with that moment of change. And so I, I began to, I, I was curious about graduation speeches where I, I'm sure they do this in the UK too. Kids will pull stunts at graduation, right? They'll, they'll, you know, write graffiti on their, their mortar boards on their hats, or they'll, um, they'll start a chant or something like that. And, or, once they're standing in front of a microphone with everybody listening, they'll go off script because usually you have to show them your speech and get it approved. And they say, yes, this is the speech that you're going to give. But um, Nikki, like many high school um, graduates at their graduation program goes off script and has a few things to say. And so I knew that that would be a moment of high drama where she's sitting there, you know, wavering. Do I, do this, you know, it might not go well for me because what has happened is um, there was a very tragic hazing incident at her school involving her best friend and she exposes a cover up around it. And so that was such a great starting point because we already get to know the character. She's a truth teller. She can't let something, let an injustice stand even though it's going to cause her enormous um, personal sacrifice. And so that inspired me. I, I would, I would say that Nikki's the one of, she's probably the favorite character that I've ever written just because she was so inspiring and she, and, and kids at that age, um, every, for a lot of them, everything is black and white, you know, right or wrong. There's very clear lines. They haven't grown into adulthood where you learn that there are shades of gray around things. And so that is such a, um, for me, it was such a compelling start to her journey. And she had such an unusual background, too. Um, I'm not sure what the cover art is on the on the UK edition of this book. But on the US edition, it's an Airstream trailer, which is one of those like silver bullet um, shaped campers that you Yeah, pull. yeah. When those in the UK think of an American style camper van, they'll think of an Airstream trailer. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, um they're very iconic um, um, in America. In fact, um, there's like parks where you can go and, and rent one. And so her father runs a surf camp in, in California with these, with these camper vans. And so she's had a very unusual upbringing. Um, so that, that kind of fed into her story as well. And then 
moving on with the planning of the plot, uh, how much do you know about the entire thing even before you sit down to write? I usually know that, you know, in, in this book, I didn't even know where or how it would end, but I, I knew the high points and low points of the story. I knew that she would be basically driven out of town um, in shame because nobody believed her and that she would try to um, make her life away. And, and another, another like even deeper incident happens when she's overseas, she's in Australia, she's competing in surf competitions and a horrible tragedy befalls her again. And so it forces her to come back. And so I would say probably one of the dominant themes in the book is that your past is not really past and you can't run away from it. You can run away from home, but you can't run away from your past. And if there are things that are left unsaid and undone, you need to go back to that and, um, and, and try to move ahead by going back, I suppose. So I I knew that that was going to happen. And that's why welcome to beach town for Nikki was kind of welcome back. You're an adult now. And now what are you going to do with yourself? Here's a question that I've never asked before. You were talking about the high and the low points and we spoke about starting it off. And because you've published so many novels, uh, I, w- I guess that you know like what beat points that you need to hit in commercial genre fiction. Uh, when you're writing, what are the most, I guess, vital things that you need to hit? What are the, what are the moments in your writing that you are that are maybe the hardest to get right? Oh, that's, that's a, that's a good question, but it's a hard question to answer. Um, I think that I need to feel like I connect with the character on deeply and emotionally, because that's how I'm going to reach the reader. And I know I've done my job when a reader will say, you know, this scene um, just touched me so much. Um, you know, sometimes they'll say, oh, it made me cry, but I, it was happy tears or something like that. Because I think um, a story is driven by emotion. Emotion is kind of the fuel that that fuels the engine of the story. And so I need to make sure that the emotion is very specific and very authentic. You know, I just can't tell you, oh, Nikki was sad about this. No, we need to see her dragging herself through, um, you know, whatever ordeal she's facing at the moment. And um, the same thing with feelings of joy. I don't want to just say, oh, she was overjoyed. It all worked out. You know, (laughs) I need to play that out dramatically on the page for the reader so that she can um, relate to the character and be very entertained and fulfilled by it. So I would say that those are the, those are the pieces that I really, really put my sweat and tears into. And then going back right to the start of the process, um, uh, you were talking about Nikki and how much you knew about her before you started writing. You knew that she had this interesting backstory uh, and that helps you make her emotions authentic as we've just discussed how are you getting to know her before you start writing is is it like a big brainstorming session are you making a a, a asking questions of your character how does that work for you um i I do an exercise that i really recommend um it's not super fun but it's not super hard and that is i sit down and i write about 500 to a thousand words first person from that character's perspective. My name is Nikki Graziola. 
I grew up on the best surf beach in California and I was raised in the in an Airstream trailer. And the thing that I'm most afraid of is dot, dot, dot. And so I kind of do a deep dive and they talk about their fears, their hopes, their ambitions, um, the things that intrigue them, the things that bore them. And, and eventually you get this kind of, and Nikki has kind of a, an ironic wisecracking voice. And I remember that it came through as I was writing a first person narrative in her voice. And so I tend to do that for usually two or three of the major characters in a book, just so I can hear what they sound like and to give them their own unique voice so that all the characters in the book don't sound the same. Yeah, I was, oh yeah, I was wondering about that. And that's a really interesting way of doing it. I think lastly, Susan, uh, in these 50 plus novels uh, in commercial fiction, so you know what your readers like, you know who you're, you're kind of targeting for want of a better phrase. Uh, what do you say are the things that a Susan Wiggs novel needs to have? They need to have um, a girl in trouble. I think I, I mentioned um, earlier, ever since I was a toddler, I was writing stories or telling stories about people being chased up trees and, th- you know, scary things, keeping them up there. And that's basically what all my books are about. Um, she's al- almost always the smartest person in the book. And she's almost always facing big trouble, often brought on by herself by a choice that she made, whether it's a good choice or a bad choice, but she's always this incredibly smart, incredibly good hearted person who might make some bad choices or might encounter some bad situations or bad people. So that's always the starting point of a Susan Wiggs novel. And there's always this really um, emotional arc of growth for the character that I hope is psychologically true. A lot of my writing books on the sh- on the shelf have to do with um, um, using psychology to develop realistic characters. So I hope that it's psychologically and emotionally true. And it has, I wouldn't always call my endings a happy ending, a satisfying ending that feels right. The inevitable satisfying ending, I suppose, is another hallmark that I strive for. And that's it for this week's episode of Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to Susan Wiggs for coming on the show. That new novel is Welcome to Beach Town. It is out right now. It's the perfect summer read. Perfect that I'm bringing it to you in September. Um, we are back next week with another author on the show. Uh, until then, you can support the show, patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. Drop us a follow on Twitter, X, we are at writer's pod there. You can get in contact as well using the uh, form at writersroutine.com. And I will see you next week with a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. Until then, bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.